0: 51,000 plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch, here it is. Swung, fly ball deep left center, him on the run. Yes! 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 The Atlanta
2: Braves yeah. have given you a championship. 25 lighters
0: on my dresser, yes sir.
2: You know I got to get... Center, the have 25 lighters on my trustan,
0: yes son. You know I cops to get paid. Swing and to the Twenty-five
2: lighters on my twenty-five folks. Now get ready. This is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by Armchair Media and our friends at MyBookie. MyBookie MyBookie.ag, the number one sportsbook site in America If you like to bet prop bets, MyBookie is your place. They've got more prop bets than anybody else. If you like betting updated lines, MyBookie is your place. Most updated lines on the web. If you are a beginner, MyBookie is your website. If you are a sharp, MyBookie is still your website. Are you starting to get the picture here? MyBookie.ag is the perfect site for all of you, any and all sports gamblers, from beginners to the most experienced more lines than anybody else. They go deeper on their lines than just about anybody else. More prop bets than anyone. You can find over/unders, whatever the case may be, whatever you like to bet in-game betting. You can find that on my bookie as well. Whatever whatever you like to bet, my bookie has it for you. And if you use our promo code armchair, they're going to give you a 100% deposit match on your initial deposit up to $1000. So if you put in 200, use our promo code armchair, they're going to throw in another 200 and you've got 4 Hundred dollars to put on something like, oh, I don't know, maybe that the Braves are going to win the NL East, or maybe that the Braves are going to win more than 83 games. You take that over, you thank me later. You take a picture and you show us how much you win. MyBookie.ag is perfect for everybody who loves to make their sporting events just a little bit more exciting. If you want to find a way to make sure you're more invested in the season than you otherwise would have been, go to MyBookie.ag, use our promo code armchair, play, win, and have a great time doing it. All right, so... Coming in this week, we've got a few things that we're going to uh, to discuss. We're going to get back to our, our uh, divisional previews in the second half of the segment. but Here in the first half, there's a lot of fun things to touch on. Is there not, Doc?
1: There are a lot of fun things to touch on. First of which being, we just had a birthday. Platinum Zaburo podcast, as of March 1st, the, the release date for our very first episode ever. We are now two years old. So I always find it a little cringy when people say, hey, happy birthday to me. But instead, I'm saying happy birthday to us. Also, we're recording this on Wednesday, March the fourth. It will be released on Friday, March the sixth, which skips over another very important day. That is March fifth, which is happy birthday to you, Dylan. You are now 165 <laughs> years old. How does that feel? And I,
2: I sound like it too every day when I get up out of bed. <laughs> Notice how uh, I tried to make sure that this fell on the fourth and the sixth, and tried to just skip over that day. Once you once you get past 25, there's no need for a birthday anymore.
1: You know, next year, next year is going to be a really big one for you. So just go ahead and go ahead and ready yourself. That's where the first number <laughs> changes and not the second one.
2: Oh, uh, Don't remind me. Next year is going to be uh, absolutely brutal. I'm, the karma's going to hit me hard because uh, my wife is, she'll be hitting that specific number in October of this year. So I have about six months where I get to lord it over her.
1: <laughs> hey, man, I'm staring 40 in the face. I'm going to be dead soon. So, you know, it could be worse for you
2: did i tell you that i've given up trying to pluck the gray hairs out of my beard so i've got like four or five just floating around in there right now
1: just let them come dude i have an entire corner of my beard that's basically silver
2: well i mean i'm gonna have a son and he's the first look at his dad's beard is gonna be with gray hairs in it
1: oh it's gonna get way worse i'm excited for you (laughs) i'm excited for you you're gonna have a lot of gray hair
2: Oh, I'm most certainly going to be a Silver Fox. Not unlike, uh, e- I won't be quite EY, who uh, if you've taken a look at any Brave Spring Training, you'll notice Eric Young with sporting a pure white beard and mustache combo. looks Looks fantastic on him. All I can hope is that I age that gracefully, which chances are I won't.
1: <laughs> it really does pop. The beard really does pop. But, uh, yeah, man, we are right in the thick of spring training. I wish there was more to report on the beard front coming out of out of, uh, out of Northport right now. But there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on right now.
2: Absolutely, there is. And you're looking, there's a lot of positions that I wouldn't say are up for grabs, but there's a lot of positions that are in dogfights at the moment. And I think we might as well start off with the main one. And obviously, that's going to be third base, looking at uh, Austin Riley and Johan Camargo. and. So far, you can't really pick a winner so far. I mean, so far, both of these guys have performed outstanding. Camargo's probably got a slight edge. We thought he had a slight edge coming into camp. Most of the guys that we've talked to have agreed. Um, defensively, Camargo has been a touch better than Riley, as Riley made an error yesterday. Or, I'm sorry, Tuesday, uh, since you guys are hearing this on Friday. Uh Austin made a little bit of an error, then made up for it with a mammoth home run, which is that could be the difference maker between the two. But we we said when we came into spring training that these guys had to have a, a huge spring, and both of them have. Granted, it's still only two weeks into spring training, so it's still it's still a little early to start drawing any real conclusions, but you gotta be you gotta be fond of, of what you're seeing from Riley and Camargo.
1: There's a part of me that was really hoping that somebody would just come out and make the decision really easy. So because, you know, you don't wanna have Camargo have to go back to Gwinnett or have Riley go back to Gwinnett or either of them kind of relegated to a utility role. And they both have made it really hard. Camargo is just smoking the ball right now. He's playing really good defense over there. Riley to hear everybody tell the story because it's early in spring training. uh, A lot of the games aren't, aren't televised and we have to kind of go off what we read and what we can glean from the broadcasters on, on, um, on the broadcast because that's what, where broadcasters do what they do. You know, it sounds like a lot of the issues last year, have really been kind of remediated with his swing. He did a lot of work in the off season. So he's been avoiding what he himself referred to as trap pitches, you know, something that starts in the zone and, and winds up leaving the zone. And that was the biggest thing for him, whether, whether it was a slider or any type of off speed pitch, he, he wound up struggling a bunch. The home run he hit off the scoreboard, 400 and something feet was off of a slider. He has done really, really well with the off speed stuff. So that, that was the biggest thing for him. But Camargo, Camargo's hitting 400. His OPS is up over 1,000 right now. So hoping that things were going to wind up being easy, easy decision for the front office to make. It hasn't come to that yet. So ideally, there's going to wind up being a spot for both of these guys on the roster. Who gets the starting spot and who winds up going somewhere else? We can't really be sure. Me personally, what I'm kind of hoping for, even though there's 40 outfielders in camp right now, I'm kind of leaning towards an Ozuna Acuña Riley outfield. I feel kind of comfortable with putting Riley in right. He's got the he was a pitcher. He's got the arm to make it work over there. Right field is smaller than left field, so we won't have as much ground to cover. And this also allows Camargo to play third base as well where he can thrive. We've seen what can happen. He really is looking slender based on what I've seen in pictures and video that's come out of camp. So uh, hopefully that will wind up being the scenario and then you've got uh, Marcakis or Enter or Duvall, everybody contributing. It's a shame that none of those three guys have any positional versatility because that kind of complicates the situation a little bit.
2: It kind of does. I know I have a feeling that the Braves want Riley to go ahead and be playing third base since that the, that's what they believe his future position is, but... You, if they're both hitting this way, you have to have both of them on the club. It makes no sense to send Camargo down to AAA no matter what happens. Even if Austin wins the job, there's no reason why Camargo shouldn't be up on the big league roster. He's a better bench piece than, say, Charlie Culberson or really any of the other bench bats have shown themselves to be this season or at least early on this spring. Uh, you just have to be willing and able to actually get him at bats, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Is not as hard as uh, somebody in Atlanta seems to think it is. but. <laughs> Austin's uh Austin's ability to, to play the outfield, and by the way, he wasn't a bad defender in left field, and that was his first year playing it. He's athletic enough to to hang in a corner. He's got the arm to play right, but he'd be playing left, and he's, he's athletic enough to where he can be slightly above average to at least average, and that'll allow his bat to play. And when you're talking about the difference between Riley and Duvall... It's not just Riley and Camargo. Duvall has to keep putting up numbers because Duvall could easily be replaced by Austin Riley too. We saw that happen last year where if Duvall is not going to be a guy that can consistently hit and we've seen Duvall in platoons before and he hasn't always performed admirably in a platoon, it does make the Nick Markakis signing a little bit more odd uh, because really if you come down to the question of would you rather have Duvall or Markakis? If I'm talking about on the bench, I'd probably rather have Duvall because he's a better defender, for sure, uh, and he's got more power. Nick's better bat to ball, uh, and he's lefty, which helps his case a little bit. But it does make that decision to to bring back Marquez, particularly so early. It does make it a little bit of a questionable decision in my, in my mind.
1: Yeah, I think – I mean, you could do a lot worse <clears throat> than having Nick Marquez as a bench bat. You really could because when you're trying to mount a rally late in the game – how many times have you heard a base runner is a rally? And Nick Marcakis, you know, there there are flaws in his profile, sure. But the dude can still hit. And if you just need somebody who can get on base and, you know, or maybe come up in a clutch situation and and not strike out or maybe not necessarily ground into a double play, then he's a really good guy to have. But you're right. Duval has the edge in power. He does have the edge in defense. One thing that that I could kind of see happening here is this would allow... Camargo and Riley to both wind up on the roster, keep, keeping Riley around because he's truthfully your best backup first base option. And Freddy, stubborn as he is, he did have the surgery and you know, we were talking last week worried about the elbow inflammation, not particularly, you know, they sat him a week, they've got him on a schedule to where he's going to wind up getting some scheduled days off. He's eventually going to need to ramp up, but there's nothing saying that this won't wind up coming up again or, or just having a scheduled day off during the week you could plug Riley in over at first base and have Camargo at third now you're right Riley's long term home is third base so moving him off of that and putting him in the outfield or putting him at first or having his position just be batter you know you don't want to hamstring him by not giving him the regular playing time but you have to play to your assets you look at teams like the Dodgers and they were they were stacked before Mookie Betts got there and they might be the deepest team They're certainly the deepest team in the league now, and they're the deepest team that I can remember in recent years. But at the same time, we spent a lot of last season saying the Braves have to be built to beat the Dodgers. And... The Braves didn't beat the Cardinals and the Dodgers didn't beat the Nationals. So just having the depth doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're going to thrive with it when when it comes down to crunch time. But you can do a whole lot worse than having 25 really, really, or 26 now, 26 really, really good players on your roster to plug and play. Now, say what you will about Snickers' inability to, or not even necessarily inability, or unwillingness to kind of move them around like that. I don't know if I would rather have a manager who's as upfront about it and saying like, I don't know how to do this as opposed to somebody says, Oh yeah, this is absolutely what we're going to do. And then when it gets in the moment where he doesn't wind up doing it. So Riley and Camargo are both best suited to get regular at bats. That is for certain. And getting them in any scenario that's not going to wind up being, I don't want to say slap in the face, but going to wind up being a difficult situation for one of these guys. It is going to be tricky. So We still have a couple weeks before the season breaks. My God, I can't believe that the season starts in like three weeks. Ah, that's so wonderful. Um, There's a lot of baseball left to be played, and and any number of things could happen. Somebody could, you know, want to trade for Ender tomorrow, or uh, the Braves could cut ties with Duvall because he's got a non-guaranteed contract. Any number of things could happen. I don't think Marcakis is going anywhere, and I still don't really see a scenario where Riley does wind up being, being a bench bat if he doesn't wind up being the starter. I think they would send him down, but... The bench is going to be interesting. You know, Culberson's going to get a spot. Hetchaporia is going to have a spot. Markakis is going to have a spot. But beyond that, there's still. You know, this is why they keep rotating guys out and out and out to, for the rest of the season. You know, Pete Cosma could wind up with a spot. Who knows?
2: See, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say with the same certainty that Culberson's got a spot. He hasn't performed well this spring, and he's on a non-guaranteed deal as well. He, he's got the. He's got the escalator if he makes the major league club. I'm sure he'd come up at some point, but I don't think he's a lock to make the opening day 26. I think you're right that I think all things considered, if they think Austin is going to be on the bench, then they'll put him in AAA so we can get full-time at-bats. But we're kind of past that point of let's try to to plan ahead. We're kind of at that point now where it's all hands on deck. Put the best players on the squad and let's go win a World Series. I mean, you've heard the players echo the sentiment. Everybody in Atlanta is echoing the same thing. Last year left a really bad taste in everybody's mouth. So it's it's about time to, excuse my French, it's time to nut up or shut up. And 2020 uh, is going to be a big deal for it. And uh, just just to lightly touch on that snit thing that, that we were that we've obliquely mentioned, uh, mentioning again that it's hard to get at bats for both Riley or Camargo, depending on who's on the bench. It's really not that hard. You just have to be dedicated to doing it. That's part of the things. That's part of the things with Snicker, and I know you don't want to talk about it, Doc. I understand. Uh, I talked about it enough on the Locked On, but it doesn't really need to be talked about because it's essentially the same take from what we had last year when we had the "We're not built that way" conversation. You have to you have to be willing to learn, and if Snicker he he can say the right things on this, but until he shows that he's actually willing to do this work, you can't set yourself up like the Dodgers if you're not willing to manage like the Dodgers. You can't set yourself up with the type of depth that the Dodgers have if you're not willing to use that depth. And I think that's I said this in the lockdown, and I'll say it to you and I don't know whether you'll get mad at me for saying it or not, but uh, I'm going to take birthday liberties and say it anyway. Uh, I'm not entirely certain that the Braves can win a World Series with Snicker the way that he is right now. Uh, I think that this year would go a long way towards proving if he can win one. I'm not saying that I think Snicker's a bad manager by any means. I think he's a top 10 manager in baseball for sure. Uh, But I'm not looking for top ten. I'm not looking for division titles. I've got fourteen of those already. I'm or fourteen in a row. I'm I'm looking, I'm looking for that flag, man. I want that parade, and you, you got to be willing to do what these top tier teams do. And uh, if if we get into say July, and Nick Markakis has somehow found a way to start about three days a week, and Riley or Camargo have not. This will be a very, very different Dylan on this podcast. I can assure you of that.
1: You've got your loyalties as a manager. And if you're, it's got to be tricky to sit down with somebody and be like, yeah, you killed it this spring. You are going to be our backup. And we'll try and get you a couple at bats a week. I mean, it's got to be hard because everybody talks about how, how much Snit is just a player's manager. So you don't get that title by, by, compromising your relationship with guys so as it pertains to being able to construct a roster that you're really going to be able to use all of the pieces of and you know if somebody gets on a hot streak you don't want to sit them or if somebody is on a hot streak and then it looks like they're going to kind of taper off then you don't want to immediately just be quick to judge and sit them down and you know because maybe maybe it is just a blip in some cases and then you wind up substituting somebody else and you compromise the the overall quality of the team there's a lot that goes into it and Hopefully, they just break camp with the best 26 and not just the most logical 26, if if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, and it, it does make sense. Um, I don't... I, I Every time I, I do one of these on Snicker, I know it's very polarizing. Some people love him. Some people hate him. Some people are like me and just want to win and don't really care who's the manager, um, as long as it's not Gabe Kapler. But we do get to this point where... Everybody likes to bring up Bobby Cox and and be like, well, Bobby played his guys a lot, too, or or Bobby was the same type of players manager and yada, yada. Well, Bobby knew the value of days off, which is why we had why the term getaway lineups, getaway day lineups is fairly infamous around these parts. Doc, would you agree with that?
1: I would indeed. Indeed
2: which is uh, it's an important thing for these guys to be able to have scheduled off days. And that's part of my thing. You can't tell me how much the players love Snicker if they're not willing to sit when he tells them to sit. And I'm looking directly at you, Freddie. Uh, and that's something that, that's something that Snick's got to kind of figure out. And maybe he does this year. Maybe, maybe the, the NLDS was a wake up call for him. Um, but this whole kind of like, joking relationship of, oh, well, I tried to give Freddie a day off, and he just fought me on it, or I have to tell Freddie six months in advance he's having a day off. ha 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 Like, that's not really a good thing. That's, that's not respect, honestly. Like, if, if you really respect your manager, then you may get upset about having to sit, but you're not going to fight him over it all the time, and that, that's kind of my point on that. And again, we may see a different Snicker this year. I think we have to, and I think the Braves have to see it, and I think Alex needs to see it, too. If he wants to commit to Snicker long-term, then... You, you need to see this because I don't think Alex is a guy who he doesn't have any ties to Atlanta or Atlanta's system per se. So the fact that Snit's been in Atlanta for 40 years really isn't going to hold the same sway with Alex that it holds for a lot of Braves fans. Uh, I think Alex wants desperately for Snicker to succeed. I want him to succeed. Everybody wants him to. Anybody that has met Brian Snicker wants him to succeed. But 2020 is going to be a key catalyst in how long Brian Snicker remains manager of the Atlanta Braves and how good the Braves can be under Brian Snicker. But I don't want to drag it down anymore. So let's move on to some happier topics like the pitching competition, which we were just talking about Riley and Camargo and how good good they've been doing and how tough this third base competition has been. The battle for the fifth spot in the rotation, really the fourth and fifth spot until Cole Hamels comes back in May, has been really, really good. Nobody has had nobody has has pitched themselves out of it. You've got a lot of guys that are pitching really, really well. Uh, I mean, particularly Kyle Wright, whose last outing was absolutely spectacular. Sean Newcomb has been good. Jordy, I know you'll be happy to hear me say that. You know, he's been effectively wild at times, but his curveball has looked pretty good. I'm not a big fan of sweepers, but there's no doubt that Newcomb has has prepared with a vengeance. He looks a lot more slim than he did last year, even though he's still a big dude. Uh, Kyle Wright has looked outstanding. Tukey has looked great in his two outings. Bryce Wilson has had that rough first outing. Second outing looked really good. This is a tough battle, and you still got guys like Tucker Davidson who are coming in and putting out fires at the end of the game, or or when any any time Tucker gets into the game, looks outstanding. There's a lot to like in this fifth starter spot. You talk about Felix Hernandez who has looked just awesome in his three outings. It's a it's a very tough battle, and I think this is good for the Braves. You need this battle to be tough. You don't want to go into it like you did last year, where you kind of just have to hand it to somebody because you have to have a fifth starter.
1: Yeah, and some of what happened last year was directly related to injuries. You know, Soroka, Fulty, Gossman, none of those guys were in the rotation. Now, Gossman wound up sucking, but he was supposed to play a very big role. They put Freed in the bullpen to start the year. And, you know, when you when you think about last year, Kyle Wright looked excellent last year, and then... Nerves got to him that first series in Philadelphia. He never fully recovered from that. Newcomb looked awful last year, which they put him in the rotation anyway because he was supposed to be contributing and he wound up in AAA and like like two weeks into the season or something. Important to note, he has not walked one batter this spring training. Still spring training, but that's inspiring. Tukey Toussaint has not given up a fly ball this entire spring training, which is huge. Felix Hernandez... Everybody talks about, well, he doesn't have the velocity anymore. That's like the one pervading thing. It's like, oh, he's getting out, even though he doesn't have the velocity. So it's easy to draw the comparison to Anibal Sanchez. And whether that winds up being a thing or not, I don't know. Felix, if he's pitching as good as it sounds like he is, then it's entirely possible that the Braves will wind up utilizing him. Or if they wind up rolling with the kids, then, they could, then Felix will catch on somewhere. I don't know if they would put him in that Josh Tomlin role. You know, he's never really had an extended stint as a reliever. So I don't know if he's necessarily going to be like a fireman or like a mop-up guy. But this is exactly what you want to see. I would love for Nukem to step back into that role. I think long-term, you know, he's got the stuff to make it work as a starter. Just can he he control it? You know, and and Freed talked all about my time as a reliever influenced me as a starter. And Freed went out and shoved last year. So if we can get something similar for Newcomb... Ideally, it's going to be an impossibly difficult decision once Hamels comes back to figure out what they're going to do. And maybe they put Felix in that spot and then they wind up cutting bait with him or reevaluating his role with the team after Hamels comes back. The way it sounds now, Hamels isn't going to even be around until May, so they do have more time on that decision. And Bryce Wilson still kind of is lagging behind in this, but he's uh, he's actually looked uh, moderately decent as well. Uh, Folty's not doing himself any favors, but I think you can still kind of wind up putting him in pen in that uh, in that rotation for opening day as well. So Soroka's back. It's also,
2: it's it's also been two starts for Folty. That's sure. the other point that kind of needs to come across here is people acting like the sky is falling because we're two weeks into spring training. It's two starts for Fulty. and anybody that watched that game with the Red Sox, this is why I had a big take against sports talk radio in Atlanta. You can tell who's actually watching when they actually try to talk about it. Talk about the two homers that Nukem gave or that uh, Fulty gave up. That homer to Raphael Devers, it was a great pitch. He fooled Devers. It was low, it wasn't in the strike zone. Devers just flicked his hands at it. And because Devers is Raphael Devers and super strong, he managed to hit it out. Like that was not a bad pitch at all. Aside from that one, it still wasn't a great day. He kind of was all over the zone. But. It wasn't, it, that, that, it wasn't like he just gave up two bombs because he threw pitches right down the middle. Devers Devers earned that home run in the first inning.
1: And that's the thing. Sometimes hitters are just going to be able to recover and do something like that. That's the advantage of being Rafael Devers is that you can, you can adjust on the fly. You can, you can hit a pitch like that out. And you're right. Fawlty has so many detractors, it's like people can't wait for him to struggle. Whether he's actually struggling in in the game or whether he's struggling on the stat line, people are going to jump all over him. It's like Luke Jackson. People had this preconceived notion that no matter what, this guy sucks. You know, he breaks your heart once and so he breaks your heart forever. So people are just conditioned to hate the people that they hate. I mean, Shane Green, It's it's a similar story. People were so upset at him last year because he showed up had some bad luck some of it, he was not pitching nearly as good as he did in Detroit, but he had some bad luck and people hated him it
2: costed us Joey Winston Travis Demerit
1: that that was hard. but at the same time it's if it's spring training for anybody, you have to give the same leeway to the guys that you like as the guys that you don't. So if you like Max I'm Freed not- and he's struggling not you but like you know the royal you if Max Freed is struggling and you like him you're like oh, he'll figure it out. If Ronald Cunha is struggling, you say, oh, he'll figure it out. I love him. But then if you don't like Shane Green, be like, nope, he's just a mop-up guy now. Same thing with Mike Fultonavich. People, uh, players are always such victims of expectations. So just, uh, just temper it. Like I said, there's still three weeks left to go. There's a long way. Shane Green could be working on something. I don't know. Maybe he's got like a ruptured oblique. I don't know.
2: Let me preface this by saying it is far too early to freak out. Shane Green's had like two outings this spring. Right. He's had like two innings pitched. Um, Now, I will preface that with Shane Green has been a very bad Major League pitcher for, what, four out of the five years? How long has he been a Major Leaguer? Five years? Uh, Around about, yeah. He has been a bad Major League pitcher for all but one of those. So, if you guys recall at all any of the shows Doc and I did, like our early, early shows where we were talking about bullpen, I have always been against Shane Green because he has never been, like, at one point he was one of the worst closers in baseball. The closer with, like, he would walk people and stuff like that. Now, that's not to say that he can't turn things around, but I think it's a mistake to expect him to to put up his first half numbers from Detroit because even those, if you dig in just a little bit on the numbers, those weren't real numbers either. Doesn't mean that Shane Green can't be a valuable member of the pen, obviously. Uh, It just it just hurts my heart to see what Joey Wentz did as soon as he left the Braves organization and then to watch Travis Demerrit hit a grand slam the other day. Again, though, I, I will follow the same rule. It is too early in spring training to to say all is lost. If you were a believer in Shane Green before this spring training, you should still be a believer now. I'll say it that way. If you were already a Shane Green hater like yours truly, then, then okay. Then uh, this hasn't done anything to help you out very much. But if you... Uh, if if you were somebody that believed in Shane Green when we got the acquisition and, and coming into this spring, then it hasn't been enough for you to to. It shouldn't be enough for for you to have changed your tune out of two outings.
1: I was wondering what to get you for your birthday. I really am gonna get you that Detroit Tigers Joey Wentz jersey. Just to, I'll
2: wear it. I'll wear it. To, I'll wear it to truest.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that trade, was, that, was, that was tough to, to absorb. But yeah, and for anybody who does hate Shane Green, if it makes you feel better, if they cut him before the season starts, because, you know, he went through arbitration, which is, you know, it's a non-guaranteed contract. If they cut him, then they will save $5 million on payroll. So you can hitch, hitch your uh, your star to that wagon, or hitch your wagon to that star, however, however that goes. You got to hitch one or the other. So, yeah, I mean...
2: Do we have one redo left? What's that? Can we file a redo?
1: Uh, no. I don't believe that's how that works now.
2: Rob Manfred, you're trying to come up with a lot of crazy rules. There's a crazy rule for you.
1: Oh, d- to re-enter the arbitration process after something agreed. No, no, no,
2: no, no. You get a redo on one trade.
1: Oh, no. No, I, d- I don't think they're, they're going to go for that. I mean, the Tigers, I think you would have to have a reverse consent from the Tigers, and I, I don't think that they're going to want that deal. They got Joey Wentz now. Why would they? And Travis. They got Travis, too.
2: Anyway, moving on from that before I give myself a little heart attack here. <clears throat> there have been a lot of things that we've talked about. We covered it last week as well, talking about Keith Law and uh, his top 100. Well, MLB Pipeline came out with their top 100, and Kyla McDaniel both came out. Uh, both of them came out with their top 100s. No surprise, Drew Waters featured prominently in their top 100s because Drew Waters is a fantastic player, and they're not looking to garner clicks by leaving Drew Waters out of their top 100. But just taking a look at some of these interesting ones, there are some interesting inclusions here, particularly MLB Pipeline's top 30 for the Braves, uh, some that I virulently disagree with. (laughs) I think you guys, I think you pretty much know which one I disagree with right off the top, Doc.
1: Uh, Was it Braden Shoemake?
2: No, no, that's a top 100. We'll get to that in a second, but in Pipeline's top 30, I am very much... I think it's a very, I, I do not agree with Freddie Tarnock being number 13 in the system. I'll, I'll say that right now. Like that. Tarnock has not shown anything to be in the top 15. Um, if he's ahead of Victor Vodnik, I think that's criminal. I think it's more, they know the name Tarnock and they know the, the quote unquote upside that was there when the Braves drafted him. But just looking at what Tarnock has put together, he's been far better as a reliever than a starter. So I wouldn't understand why you'd put a reliever at 13th anyway. But, um, I, I'm not a I'm not somebody that buys into Freddie Tarnock at 13, not without a huge jump from him this year. Now they've also got Michael Harris at 14, which is awesome. Michael Harris, one of the what was he the 18th round pick last year, 16th or 18th last year?
1: No, Harris was a third round pick. Uh, Your th- oh okay yeah. whoops.
2: Am I thinking of Vaughn Grissom? Yes. or Mackay?
1: Yeah, uh, Backstrom was 18th, Grissom was 11th. If I'm remembering that correctly. Okay.
2: Either way, uh, Michael Harris, one of the true studs of last year's draft. Uh, one of the guys is a little under the radar, one of those weird picks when it happened, but you go into to looking at him, he's a guy that's super athletic, a two-way type, of guy really good on the mound. He's got a lot of potential there. Seeing him at 14, this really is great. He dominated the GCL. Uh, friend of the program, Patrick Weigel, staying firm at 16, which is where I believe he was last year as well. And uh, a favorite of mine and Doc's, daisbel Hernandez, getting the jump from like 22 all the way up to 17. Closer um, of the future, Daisbel Hernandez.
1: I have taken so much flack for just being uh, being the number one Daisbel Hernandez fanboy in uh, in Braves Twitter. And to see him up to 17, I mean, Pipeline, the way the Pipeline does theirs, they will put relievers much higher than anyone else because it's a, it's a limited range of outcomes. It's like having a DH ranked in your top 10 or somebody that's a first baseman. Because if things go sideways for a starter, you can go into the bullpen. If things go sideways for an outfielder, you could always move to first base you know once you're a reliever you pretty much stay as a reliever unless you're Phil Pfeiffer, who made the list at number 27 i think um daysbell has a chance to really contribute he's got a he's touching high 90s and he's also got uh, got a really good slider in there if he can develop another pitch then i mean we're looking at a lights out reliever but uh 17 my god even for me <laughs> that caught me off guard i didn't think he was going to want to be in that high i love the fact that tyler owens who was a uh, who was a pick from last year? One of the late round guys, I think a 14th or 15th rounder. He wound up uh, making the list in the uh, in the 20s. So you know, there's a lot of the guys from last year wound up showing up on this list. Yeah, uh, or Owens is 25. So uh, Vaughn Grissom, who you mentioned, is 23. Bryce Ball, the cult hero, he's at number 21. For the record, we all love Bryce Ball. Stop saying that he could take Freddie's job if Freddie's hurt. He only has 90 plate appearances above rookie ball. So.
2: Uh, don't you doubt Bryce ball? No, I don't know what Bryce ball was. You don't know what Bryce balls capable. I'm just
1: glad. I'm just glad I had to get it off my chest. We all have certain things we have to say. That is one that I had to say. So
2: he's the super Hulk,
1: even for, uh, even for as many prospects have graduated, you know, it's amazing to look at this big league roster and see these guys that we were obsessing over when the rebuild was still happening and the Braves were losing like 95 games a year, that there's still a lot of really solid talent, in this uh, in this farm system, and yes, you guys will be happy to know that Drew Waters is ranked number two by Pipeline, even though he has struck out in eleven out of his sixteen plate appearances uh, in spring training. Wait, so what? Far. Hold up, what? Drew Waters has struck out in eleven of his sixteen plate appearances so far in spring training. That
2: doesn't that that doesn't seem good.
1: Oh no, that's that's actually quite bad. Uh, that's more than two thirds. That's uh, that's many. That's that's way too many. But it's spring training. We were just talking about how you can't re- react to something like that.
2: <laughs> no, we we know what uh, we know what Drew has to work on and and uh, <clears throat> what what he what he's really good at and what he's not so good at at the moment. Another guy that knows Kylie McDaniel, who you guys know from his time with Fangraphs. He was also a scout with the Braves for a long time. Uh, Kylie McDaniel knows his stuff, particularly when it comes to the Braves. So when you look at Kylie's top 100, it's no surprise that you see a lot of Braves in there. Uh, Pache coming in number 17, which is awesome. A Lo- little bit lower than Keith Laws, but uh, Kylie loves what he sees from Pache. He's always been a big Pache fan. Drew Waters coming in at 38. Also, uh, <clears throat> Ian Anderson with a kind of precipitous drop from Keith Laws top 100 to number 49 in uh, Kylie's. Shea Langoliers at 83. And Braden Shoemake craps- cracks the top 100 at 98. Now, this is one of those that where I... Don't know why Braden is hitting the top 100 this early, but if Kylie's got it, that means the Braves think a lot of Braden. It means the Braves think more of Braden Shoemaker than probably anybody else. I've been of the mindset for a long time that Braden is a, uh, a Ben Zobras type of player. Uh, if Kylie's hearing different things from the Braves, the Braves might be looking at Braden as more than just a super utility guy, which that'd be good news if that's what it turns into. I, early on in last year's draft process, I was. I kind of I kind of projected Shoemaker to the Braves, but I kind of went off. Aw- I I kind of went away from that projection a little bit towards the end of the year. Uh, Braves like a lot of the intangibles that that Shoemaker brings. They like the size. They like the speed. They like the arm. They like the footwork. So uh, good to see Braden crack that that top one hundred. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it, it's a sign of good things to come, but focusing on Waters. There's a lot made of Drew Waters, no matter who you ask. If you ask four people an opinion on Drew Waters, you're probably going to get four different answers. And with Kylie, one of the things that he mentions is the swagger factor of Drew Waters, which a lot of you have been fully aware of or have seen on display. Uh, As a matter of fact, Kylie compares Drew Waters and his attitude to a certain Hall of Famer who played with the Braves for 19 seasons, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Uh he he mentions in the write up uh, some teams were convinced that Javi Baez and Bryce Harper were bad makeup guys, and that's one of the things that he mentions about Waters. And I mean there's some there's some chipper level swagger in there. And um sometimes it takes being humbled in certain ways. I think for a chipper it wound up being the injury and uh well, in some cases how the fact that his life kinda of fell apart off of off of the field. But I mean everybody's got that that break check moment. You know and and waters will will get his too and uh, it's interesting to to see how much of a pervading theme that really has become and uh, I mean you can see it in, in any of the games I mean he does have swagger for days and when he's on then he can absolutely back it up. but it's almost like when you're starting to see all of these different things come out it's like it's taking it's becoming more front and center. Than any of the talent like you can't read a write-up on drew waters without reading about the makeup stuff. So That's never really a good thing. I mean you can see you can read about somebody being really uh, Jovial or really like boisterous type player But when you start getting into it in this way, then it, it calls into question a little bit is this gonna wind up being a long-term impediment so he's still tooled up. He can still hit like crazy. He's still an absolutely solid guy. And and it's, it's preposterous that he wasn't in Law's top hundred. I mean, he's, he's in literally every other top hundred that anybody, anybody would make. So, not
2: even just top hundred. He's in everybody else's top fifty. Top fifty,
1: yeah. I mean, he's he's a solid. He's an absolutely solid prospect. And we should all be really excited about him. But there there will be some some growing pains between him and the fan base because if he comes up and he struggles and he's got an attitude, people the people will turn on him because it's just the nature of things. I was talking about people have their preconceived notions about Luke Jackson and about Fulty. They will have them about Drew Waters and they will dog him for the rest of his career. So be ready.
2: Hey, uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Bear, keep in mind that Bryce Harper comparison. That's one of the things that I've been saying. That once once Drew puts on more weight and starts adding loft to, to turn some of these line drives into homers, which is going to be imperative for him as a corner outfielder. I think you can expect a Bryce Harper type career from him. So you're going to see a lot of Braves fans that are going to have to do a quick uh, quick about face, really quick, and be like, "Oh no, that's a good, that's a great player to have." And uh, they've been kind of trashing Harper for years. I'm excited to see. I, I do believe in Drew Waters. I don't believe he's better than Pache, but that's that's more a mark on how much I believe in Christian Pache as opposed to how little I believe in Drew Waters. I think they're both fantastic prospects. I think the Braves are extremely lucky to have both of them. And the fact that you're going to have Acuna, Pache, and Waters in our outfield for years to come is fantastic. Just keep an eye on Drew. Obviously you're going to see him work on the strikeouts. You might see him try to temper. You might see the Braves try to temper his his attitude, or at least his emotions a little bit, um, to where it's, it's at least not so easy to read his face. Um, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. I'm looking forward to seeing what he does for the rest of the spring. As we're starting to get close to time for, for some of the cuts to happen, I'm excited to see how long Pache and Waters stay, on, stay in the big league camp so they can start to get more at-bats against real major league pitching, and see how Drew does as spring winds down as he started to get his timing out. No doubt it's going to be fun to see. No doubt it's going to be a fun regular season. But as it is, we are up against it. We got to make sure we hit our timing here so we can come back and bring you our guest to discuss the NL Central coming up in just a second right here on the Platinum Sombrero.
1: Welcome back to the Platinum Sombrero, ladies and gentlemen, episode 105. Doc here reminding you that this week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero podcast is brought to you by Triple Wide Birdhouses and Latex Mittens. Last week we had former Braves outfielder Lane Adams join us on the show, so we briefly suspended our division preview series. Well, we are back with another divisional preview. This week we are focusing on the NL Central, and we decided to go and get a fantastic guest for you this week. From Forbes Magazine and also from the Associated Press, we have got my dude, Jared Willis, joining us today. Jared, man, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me today.
1: So your focus is primarily on the Cubs, but uh, I get the feeling that you have been uh, paying attention to everything that is going on in the division since the offseason started. How do you feel things are uh, are looking so far in your division?
0: Well, I think for probably like the third season in a row, it's going to be you know, a a tough division to shake out. It's probably going to be another year where it might take until the last week or so of the season before you have a clear, a clear division winner. Um, You know, I'm thinking back to 2018 when it, it took an extra game in the game 163 between the Cubs and the Brewers. And the last season where, you know, it did kind of come down to that final week before the Cardinals eventually won the division. I think we're going to see the same thing just because, um, there are enough of these teams that are good enough that they're just going to make life difficult for each other. Um, and, and nobody's really going to separate from the pack until, until the very end. Now, honestly, as to which team I think that's going to be at the end of it all, it depends with which day you ask. I might give you a different answer. Um, Cause there are times when I think, you know, the Cardinals can, can win it back to back. There are times when I think this is the Reds year they've, They've been building this roster over the last few seasons, and this is finally the time that they're going to do it. And then there are times when I think, hey, Cubs kind of got to refresh with the new manager and, and all of those kinds of things, and they're going to bounce back from a couple of tough years and, and get get back to the top of the division. Um, but I think that just all speaks to nobody really knows how this division is going to shake out.
2: And speaking of that new manager for the Cubs, David Ross replacing longtime Cubs manager and Pretty much well-known mad scientist Joe Madden. Uh, what's the feeling around Chicago? Or was was it Joe Madden's time to leave? Is it more everybody's just kind of captured by the magnetism that is David Ross? What's the feeling around Cubs Nation?
0: Yeah, I think it's it's a little bit of both because on on one hand, um, Joe Madden was very very well liked, um, and even before the World Series, because obviously you know you break the one hundred and eight year old curse, you're always going to be popular. Um, but I think his a lot of his in-game managing some of those kinds of things had started to started to wear on the fans and kind of feeling like they wanted somebody uh, managing the team who was a little better at maybe how he managed his bullpen and, and his lineups from day to day, that kind of thing. And so I think fans felt like, yes, we love Joe, but we're ready for we're ready for something different. And, and to be honest, like David Ross is really impressed so far because obviously he was a very popular player when he was here because he was here during, you know, two of the best seasons, probably in, in Cubs history ever, um, in 2015 and 2016. Um, and so he was really beloved as a player, but a lot of people kind of wondered, well, what's it going to be like to see him go from that to now managing this team. But so far I, I think he's shown a lot of really good things. I mean, hearing him speak at the Cubs convention in January, I mean, he 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 can light a fire. He can motivate. I mean, even just as like a an objective sort of person sitting off to the side, I was listening to him speak and thinking, man, I I want to get up and go <laughs> go do something. Um, so I can only imagine the effect he's having on the on those players. And so it's mostly positive in Chicago as as far as the team in general, and and especially with Dave Ross.
1: You know, it's been a couple of years since the Cubs broke the curse that you that you referenced. I mean, it was one of the one of the longest running droughts in in history, in, in sports history, in any case. And ever since that, it's kind of seemed like the Cubs underachieved a little bit, but they still have some really solid pieces. And and one of them is is Chris Bryant. And he was the subject of so many different trade rumors of, of this offseason. God knows we we talked about him on on this show probably 10, 15 different times. So what do you suppose the odds are? It, you know, it looks like he's going to wind up being with the Cubs at least for the, for the first half of the season. Theo Epstein recently came out and said that they are going to have to be brutally honest at the trade deadline to kind of assess where things are. What do you suppose the odds are that Bryant winds up finishing out his contract because uh, he's got two years left on his deal? Or do you think that this is, you know, he's got just a couple months left and he's going to wind up getting moved at the deadline?
0: Yeah. No, I think the odds that he finishes this contract in Chicago are, are very slim um i think that's highly unlikely i think the only reason he wasn't traded this past winter is having the looming um decision of the you know his grievance over the service time grievance kind of hanging over his head there's just no way that the cubs and any other team could really work out a deal without having a clear picture of is he going to be under contract for one more year or two more years now that they know that um I think now it's just a matter of finding the right partner, finding the right fit and working something out. So if things go poorly in the first few months of this season, I think he is going to be the most highly sought after trade target in July. Um, And even if, and if it doesn't happen then, I think we'll be right back to the same spot next winter where they're going to be looking for partners. I just, I don't think they're going to let him go without, without getting something in return. Um, without working out a trade with somebody because I mean, there are very few teams in baseball that couldn't use Chris Bryant as their third baseman. I, you know, I can only think of a couple who because they already have really great third baseman or even better third baseman in those spots. So I think it happens, but the timing will have a lot to do with how successful the Cubs are in April, May, June, and, and the first part of July.
2: Now, when he says brutally honest, obviously, we all kind of take it right to Chris Bryant. But the Cubs have quite a number of guys that that could be about. Is Chris Bryant really the only main player that you see traded? Or would you see, like, a Kyle Schwarber or a Wilson Contreras or maybe even a Javi Baez in the right situation? I can't imagine they would trade Baez. I'd imagine he's going to be kind of the Cub for life guy. But uh, yeah. what, are, what are some of the other names that could potentially be moved at the deadline? Should the Cubs find themselves in say third place at the deadline.
0: Well Schwarber is somebody who is always it, it, it's always felt like it made sense for him to be a trade piece. Um because you know defensively he's come a long way as an outfielder. He's way better than what he was a couple seasons ago. But in general he's still probably better as a as a designated hitter or even if he was if he went to a team where he had the opportunity to work on like First base or something like that. He came up as a catcher. Um, but because of who the Cubs had, the personnel they had at at that time, he got moved to the outfield. Um, but for some reason, they I there's something about his makeup, he has always been a guy that this front office in Chicago, they just love him. Um, and so I I don't know that I see Schwarber getting traded. Um Wilson Contreras, though, is another one who I think that's very possible. Um, but less likely than Bryant, because I think Bryant's the most likely most likely trade piece. Because a lot of that, too, has to do with who's going to net us the most return. What are we going to get the most back for? You know, you can trade Schwarber, but is the return really going to make a huge difference in the quality of your team? Probably not. Um, but Bryant, you can, you can do a lot um, based on trading him. So those are the three guys whose names come up the most often. But of the three, I still I still think Bryant is by far the most likely.
1: So it sounds like uh, somebody like Baez is probably going to wind up being uh, being the long term fixture in Chicago, even if all of these, uh, even if any or all of those guys wind up getting moved. So he's probably due for an extension any of these days. But as far as uh, ex- extensions in the NL Central go, it looks like the Brewers and Christian Yelich are about to um, tack about seven years on the back end of Yelich's deal. So. What kind of threat do you see the Brewers being? I know that you said that you think it's going to wind up going to the last week, but I was looking over their looking over their roster today and I just their roster looks completely vanilla and for some reason it was after Yelich got hurt last year that they were able to kind of step things forward and really kind of gained a lot of momentum after he was gone, but I just I look at the rotation, I look at the rest of the lineup and I don't see them being able to hang with Chicago. But you have your finger on the pulse of the NL Central, so what do you think?
0: I, I think what's been kind of interesting about them the last few seasons is that the, w- that's the way I think most people have felt about the Brewers for, you know, about two years or so now. And yet somehow in 2018 that, you know, their group of pitchers that they had a couple of seasons ago that we were all just sort of expecting to, you know, to fall apart. They made it all the way to game seven in the NLCS. Um, and then even last year, you know, getting to the Wild Card game and, You know, that's a wild card game you go back and look at and change one or two outcomes. And they're the team that advances and not the Nationals. But um, I do think, though, that this this is the point where they're just, you know, some of that like voodoo magic they've kind of had going the last couple of years. It's just there's not enough talent. There's not enough, especially in their pitching staff. There's not, not enough there to stay competitive in what is going to be a tough division. And so I think this is the time when maybe they should have been bolder about whether it's free agency or trades or, you know, those kinds of things so that they could stay competitive. But I think we're going to start to see them tail off. Extending Yelich is, is a, is absolutely like the right move. I mean, he obviously loves playing in Milwaukee. Um, And I think based on the terms of that deal that I saw, it's a pretty, you know, obviously he's getting a lot of money, but it's, a pretty team-friendly deal, all things considered, so it's a good move for them, but I think the next step is if you're establishing Yelich as, as your core piece going forward, then what are you going to do to to build around him?
2: And Obviously, they've got some pieces like Cast and Hura. They've got a few other guys in the minors who look kind of promising, but they don't have the same type of system as, you know, really, the Cardinals seem to be the only team in the Central to have much of a, a system behind, but the Cincinnati Reds have slowly but surely been building themselves back up under new GM Nick Kroll, who took over for Walt Jockety, who might have been the worst GM in baseball over his tenure in Cincinnati. Cincinnati is a team, man, I, I can't figure out what I think about them because there's no doubt that defensively, defensively they're going to be atrocious. But offensively, man, they've got a really good lineup, and Eugenio Suarez isn't expected to really miss a lot of time. That rotation, I think, is still going to be where it all comes in. But you being in the central, what's the expectation for the Reds like this year? Are they still kind of flying under everybody's radar and expected to, uh, radar and expected to be a pushover, or are people starting to take notice of them a little bit more?
0: I th- I think they're still under the radar, but probably just barely. Um, I think they're they are getting more notice because you make the kind of additions that they they have this this off season. And you, you can't really stay under the radar. And I thought last year, I thought a year ago, that this was an extremely talented roster that I really thought was going to do better. Um, and for, for some reason, they just didn't. And I think they've improved from where they were a year ago. So um, if, if I'm picking a sleeper team, not just in the NL Central, but in the National League in general, um, it's Cincinnati. Because provided that, like you mentioned, their defense doesn't become their Achilles heel, um, there, there's no reason on paper, at least to think that this isn't a team that's going to do well.
1: Their roster does kind of have a spaghetti test aspect to it, where they're just kind of throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks. You know, you've got Mustakas who was signed to play second base. And now that Suarez is expected to miss a little bit of time, it wouldn't surprise me to see, see him get some time at third, um, and then you've got Nick Sinzel, who could who could fill in at third. He's he's supposed to play center. Nick Castellanos, I mean, he's basically all bat. And he, he's kind of the uh, the poster child for for talking about how bad the Reds' defense is, is possible. <clears throat> Excuse me, how bad they could possibly be. But that rotation, Luis Castillo, Trevor Bauer, and Sonny Gray, it's not exactly Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin, but that's a solid top three. And, you know, you throw Wade Miley in there, I mean, I... I'm fascinated by them. I don't I don't necessarily think they're going to win the division, but I every time that they make a move, I'm just like, wow, they even last year when nobody was was doing anything, they were trying to make a push. They were trying to be active. And now so I I think they could definitely be a team to watch, no doubt about it.
0: Yeah, and I I think there there is like you just described them. There's there is a bit of a feeling of like let's just kind of see what sticks. Let's grab a bunch of guys and and see what works out or see how it works, but they've they've given themselves some depth that maybe they didn't have before that now they can they can withstand having Suarez down for a little while or even if Votto you know he had a, a bit of a down year last year and whether if that continues this year if this is maybe like the decline of Joey Votto um now they've got some other bats in the lineup that can absorb that um yeah it's it they're definitely going to be interesting that's for sure
2: I guess we do have to move on to uh, everybody's most hated team in the Central, and this was ours even before the disastrous Game 5 of the NLDS. But the St. Louis Cardinals, not only are they the most annoying fans in baseball, they have this annoying habit of somehow being able to turn out like middle-of-the-road seasons that somehow never seem to end. Like When you're talking about the, the NL Central last year, at no point did I really look at the Cardinals and say, man, that's a world-beater of a team. They had some some rotation issues where Miles Michaelis wasn't good last year. Dakota Hudson throughout the entire season was kind of overrated. Really, aside from Jack Flaherty's second half, their rotation was was not good at all. And they had some really big down years from, from a lot of key players, talking about uh, Matt Carpenter in particular, yet somehow they just found themselves sticking around that playoff race and somehow won the division and somehow kept it going. And we don't really want to discuss what happened against the Braves because it shouldn't have happened, but... It almost seemed like a textbook St. Louis Cardinals year, and it makes me kind of hate them just a little bit more.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I think they're kind of known across the league as they're that team for everybody, but especially here in Chicago, we constantly refer to the Cardinal Devil Magic, um, where exactly like you described, like, how did this just happen? You know, how did they win this division? How did they advance in the first round of the postseason And even down in like the microcosm of, you know, who is this guy they just called up that we've never heard of who, you know, gets up and and rakes for two straight weeks, never heard of this guy. It seems like every time we turn around, they've got another prospect who's showing up who's doing that kind of thing. Um, There. Yeah. It's, I mean, at some point you kind of have to look at the Cardinals and just say something about what they're doing is right because it just seems to keep working year after year after year as annoying and as frustrating as it is for people outside of St. Louis. um, You know, they're, I think they're probably the best example is what was that 2011. They won like 83 games in the regular season and then went on to win the world series. You know, how many times can you be essentially a 500 team um, and, and then win the world series, but they're, and that's what makes them so hard to figure out is terms of where they, they, they rate in this division because you can't ever really truly feel like you're counting them out. Cause even in these supposed down years that they had in like 16 and 17. And so they were always like fairly close. They were never too far out of it. Um, and I suspect that's how it's just, that's how it's going to continue. I don't see any significant drop off from them coming in this season.
1: Even with having lost Marcelo Zuna, you know, the Braves uh, were able to, to sign him in the off season. You know, they still have some really solid pieces. Paul Goldschmidt, Paul Young, uh, Jack Flaherty, who we don't really care for a whole lot around here. Uh, Colton Wong is just an absolute freak. And then every time that I wind up seeing any type of national story talking about Nolan Arenado, they always bring up the Cardinals, how they're a a logical fit. And so when I get the idea that, you know, Arenado is not going to be in Colorado too much longer, I get the feeling he'll probably, at least by the trade deadline, he's going to be gone. So when I think of a, a team that's already got the, these pieces, like St. Louis, being able to add somebody like Arenado, it just oh, kind of makes me sick to my stomach a little bit. But Devil Magic doesn't really discriminate, you know? It's just every time every time I turn around, like you said, the Cardinals are going to be a 500 team and somehow find a way to get to the NLCS, whether it's through what happened to the Braves or what happened to 2011 or whatever. So um, got my fingers crossed for a fourth-place finish for them. I would say last place, but this is the division that's got the Pittsburgh Pirates, I I don't see any scenario where the Pirates don't finish last and I think they're going to lose like 105 because of the how how top heavy the rest of the division is everybody's just going to take turns beating up on Pittsburgh.
0: Yeah, that's that's definitely the case. The one team that's easy to predict this year is is Pittsburgh. There's just no question this I mean we could this could end up being one of their worst seasons of all time um record wise because there's just they they've clearly their ownership. They're they've decided to. I don't even know if you can call what they're doing a rebuild. I it almost just feels like we're just we're just giving up. Um. So yeah, that's there's not a whole lot to say about the pirates other than they're going to be bad. The other teams in the division are going to pick up a lot of wins because of playing against them. Because um, they're just there's there's nothing there.
2: There's really not even much for them to trade. I mean. When you look at, at the guys they have that other people would want or would actually bring them something in return, Josh Bell obviously is a very good player, but I think it's gonna be hard for them to to trade him, even if they know they're gonna suck. Brian Reynolds is very intriguing. Still not sure what the upside on him is, but he is very intriguing. And O'Neal Cruz. Aside from that, you've got guys like Gregory Blanco who have kind of given you glimpses. But feel, but he's been in the league a while and he's always hurt. You have guys like Chris Archer, who one of the more overrated pitchers when in his time with Tampa, and has uh, come back down to earth. Joe Musgrove is nothing special. They don't really have a piece that they can send out there to get you know big time players in return. Maybe Josh Bell, but that's like the only guy they have that can bring them a significant return.
0: And I think for with him, like if you are truly engaging in a, in a rebuild or at least an attempt. To rebuild that, like he is to me, like a textbook example of the kind of guy that you keep. He's young, he's still pretty cheap for them, super talented. So that's the he's your your build around sort of piece, kind of like we talked about with Yelich and the Brewers earlier. Um, but you're right, like if of anybody that you can trade, unless you're going to lump a bunch of guys together, which never really quite works. Um, Josh Bell is your easiest trade piece, but it, I mean, then you are really like phoning it in for the foreseeable future if you don't have Josh Bell on your roster.
2: I mean, they got absolutely hosed in that Chris Archer deal, giving up uh Austin Meadows. Why am I blanking on who the second person was, doc?
1: Tyler Glasnow.
2: <laughs> Tyler Glasnow, Austin oh, yeah. Meadows, and then Shane Baz is the player to be named later. It's the first time I've seen a top 100 guy be the player to be named later. Uh I have no idea who okayed that deal, but that person's got to be out of a job. I mean, you just gave up three guys that were all... I mean, I don't. I, I wouldn't have traded Austin Meadows straight up for Chris Archer, so I'm not entirely sure what Pittsburgh was thinking. Uh, but there, there's no doubt that that one trade, that might have doomed them for about five or six years.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a move that sets you back in a big way um, because if you are trying to use your farm system to get better, you just... Who gutted your farm system for, like you said, and I agree, a, a pretty overrated pitcher, um, who wasn't even going to make you all that much better the year that they traded for him. Um, I, so it, that, that I think in the the history of Major League Baseball trades, that's that's one of the worst ones um, that I think I've seen in a long time.
1: You know, every division's got that one team that that can expect to be beaten up on. You know, we. We being Braves fans, we, we have a front row seat to the Marlins and what they've done. But the Marlins have kind of been creative with what they did. Um, they're just kind of kicking the can down the road a little bit. People were asking last year about, you know, why would you trade Zach Gallon? Well, Zach Gallon is here now, and he can get you Jazz Chisholm, who's going to wind up giving you value two years from now. And I think that the Pirates could, they could really kind of set themselves up for success better by trading some of the young guys like Newman and Frazier and Brian Reynolds to kind of buy themselves some time to recover. Because you're right. I mean, Archer, maybe he recovers and you can get a prospect for him. Or maybe Musgrove does something good this coming year. But for the most part, the guys that have all the years of team control... These are the ones that are going to set you up for success when the Brewers' farm system bottoms out. Or if when all of the different guys that, that are on the Cubs right now, that when Contreras and Schwarber and Bryant are all gone and there's a little bit clearer path. Because for now, like I said, I can see a scenario where the Pirates don't even win 50 games this year. So if they can set themselves up for the 2023 season by sucking for real instead of sucking kind of, which they've done in the past couple years, I think that's really the, the only true path for them.
0: Yeah, they really kind of have to play the long game um, and and wait some of these other teams out. That makes a lot
2: of sense. All right, well, we are up against the time clock, so we just have one more question before we let you go. We need you to try to project this division, and we are going to use this against you when the time comes, so you better come correct.
0: (laughs) All right. Um, Do you want me to lay it out like top to bottom?
2: yeah top to bottom, let us know okay. uh let us know how how good the top is and all that stuff, but uh more than anything, I'm just trying to make okay. sense of this division
0: all right, I think um I'm gonna go cardinals, cubs, Reds, Brewers, pirates and i and you can hold me to that. I will answer to that. If you want to have me back on in like September and <laughs> just see how horribly wrong
2: I was i that may be the first time I've actually had somebody project the Reds to finish above the Brewers. I like that you went out on that limb
0: that's that's my like they're my bold pick for the year I'm just gonna i'm gonna ride with that as long as i can um and and see see if they prove me right or not.
1: still mad you have the Cardinals winning the division, but you're probably not wrong.
0: honestly, I'm <laughs> mad about it too, <laughs> but yeah yeah that's just that is what it is. <laughs>
2: I mean, uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I hope, the, I hope that doesn't happen that way. I, I would be very happy to see the Reds take a step forward. I've kind of been a little bullish on them the last couple of years, and they haven't really followed through. So I'm happy to see what they're doing. And I like seeing a team that looks to get better by actually trying to change the culture and win a little bit. So I, I'm excited to see what they do.
0: Yeah, I def- I've, I feel the same way about them. I think that's part of the reason why I'm, I'm probably a, a bit of a positive bias, just because even going back to last offseason, like you referenced earlier um, they at least were trying, they were making moves, they were making deals and they were there. There's an effort there that I'm not seeing from a lot of other teams. So in a lot of ways I find the reds refreshing and so I, I hope it pays off for them.
2: Well, you heard it here. Fo uh, here, heard it here first folks. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to the episode. He is Jared Willis. One of the best of the business, Jared. Thanks for coming on the show. All of you guys out there, thank you guys so much for listening to the episode, and we will be able to get back to you uh, next week around the same time, same place, right here on the Platinum Sombrero.